Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello, and thanks for listening to Voice of the Church. I'm Pastor Ryan Swale, and I want to look at Song of Songs chapter 7 today. Into the beginning of of chapter 8, this is one of the more sensual passages in the book where the bridegroom describes the bride's beauty, and she responds by offering her love and then giving a warning to those listening not to awaken love before the proper time. It says, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly, a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts like fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and how pleasant you are, O loved one, with your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples." your mouth like the best wine. And then she says it, it goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Then in in the verses after that, she invites him out into the fields to lodge in the village to see uh, whether the vines have budded in the vineyard and whether the grapes are ready to enjoy and says there, I'll give you my love. I wish you were like a brother to me. I'd kiss you and none would despise me. I'd lead you into the house of my mother and give you my wine to drink. And she says, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. And finally, in 8 verse 4, I adjure you, O daughters of Zion, not to stir up or awaken love until it pleases Maybe you're listening and uh, wondering why it is that that a passage like this would even be in the Bible. What's the use of it? It's a good question. Uh, One that I think is is answered well by a a recent denominational report on human sexuality that uh, commends the Song of Songs for the church's use, saying, In an era of incessant media depictions of unrestrained lust, Contrasted by segments of the church that speak only negatively or not at all to human sexuality, the Song of Songs celebrates the beauty of bodies and boundaries of sexual love. The beauty of bodies and boundaries of sexual love. That uh, well captures this passage. Let's uh, think just a little bit about those two things. First, the beauty of of the body. As the king describes the bride here in Song of Songs 7, the first words that come out of his mouth are, how beautiful. 
And then he starts with her feet and goes up to her head in verses 1 through 5, naming、uh, ten parts of her body in which he delights,、uh, stating in verse 1, You are like the work of a master hand, acknowledging the goodness of the body as created by God, implying that sexuality is not dirty, but a good thing given by God. And the goodness and beauty Of the body, he goes on to describe in verse 2, comparing her to a rounded bull that never lacks mixed wine, meaning、um, his delight in her form is like the, the privileged enjoyment of the best wine. He compares her waist to a bundle of wheat encircled with lilies using promised land imagery, describing her as a, a fertile plain, a, a rich vineyard, a place of precious jewels set with lilies. Likens her chest to fawns, twins of a gazelle, as if to say they are like graceful animals in the midst of the promised land under God's blessing. He's saying your body is a paradise. And because it is, it's life sustaining. He describes her neck and, and her eyes and nose with more promised land imagery, like an ivory tower, pools of Heshbon, the, the Tower of Lebanon, and is held captive by her beauty. He's mesmerized by it. And here we see the goodness of bodily beauty celebrated. He says, How fair and how pleasant you are, O love, with your delights, and compares her to a palm tree whose clusters he says he'll take hold of. He, he says that her mouth is like the best wine, which goes down smoothly, gliding over lips and teeth. We see the beauty of the body in this passage. The word is not afraid to acknowledge bodily beauty. Sometimes the church is, but the word is not.、Uh, the Song of Songs, to, to quote that sexuality report I mentioned,、um, helps us recover a theology of the body that is rooted in creation and resurrection theology. We believe in creation. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the incarnation where Christ dignifies our created humanity by taking on flesh and deny the heresy of Gnosticism. That says our souls are good, but our bodies are bad. And where we sometimes stray from these confessions in practice, the song brings us back, celebrating the physicality of our created being and bodily beauty designed by God to be delighted in. This whole section celebrates bodily beauty as created by God. And the privilege that those united in marriage have of enjoying that beauty together. It's a gift from God. And the church has sometimes so emphasized the dangers of enjoying it in the wrong way that we have failed to celebrate the beauty of enjoying it in the right way. And insofar as we have done this, we have unwittingly communicated that Satan somehow has a corner on pleasure. But the song reminds us that sexual pleasure and bodily beauty are part of God's good plan. And the warnings Scripture gives regarding it are, are not because God is some sort of cosmic killjoy, but because in His kindness, He wants this gift to be enjoyed in the right way. Which brings us then to the, the boundaries of sexual love. I'll say just、uh, two things about this. Verse 11. Of chapter 7 implies that it is to be enjoyed privately. As she says, in effect, let's, let's go somewhere private.、Um, 8 verse 1, she says the same I wish you were like my brother, where in ancient times public displays of affection were inappropriate except for siblings.
And so she says, I, I wish I could embrace you right now, but recognizes there are boundaries to sexual love, and one of them is it's to be enjoyed privately, not on screen for everyone to see, but in the privacy of the marriage bed. And so there is here a disapproval of the kind of thing that so pervades our modern age, the incessant media depictions of unrestrained lust. The Bible says there's no place for that and no place for believers to view it. And we see the song speaking more to the, the boundaries of sexual love in 8 verse 4 when it says, Do not awaken love until it pleases. That's the third time that this phrase comes up in the book is that it emphasizes waiting to enjoy this kind of intimacy until the proper time in the context of marriage. In fact, everything we see in 7, 1 through 8 verse 3 is in the context of marriage. The enjoyment of bodily beauty, the description of bodily beauty, even the kind of passionate open mouth kissing of 7 verse 9 seems to be reserved for marriage. Outside the context of marriage, there is a longing for it. We see that in chapter 1. But only within marriage do we find descriptions like we do in, in 4 verse 11 or 7 verse 9 because the bride and the king recognize that certain activities um, certain kinds of, of touch, certain kinds of speech stir up and awaken love and outside of marriage that is in violation of chapter 8, verse 4. And, and so the song sets boundaries on sexual love. And, and the reason why it does, the reason why the song extols the beauty of bodies and boundaries of sexual love is ultimately because of what it represents. It represents the bridal mystery of the gospel. Uh, one pastor says, The reason you should not awaken love before the proper time with someone who is not yet your spouse is because it paints an unclear picture of Christ in the church who from the beginning of time reserved his deepest affection and desires for his bride even before he met her. And this image should be expressed in our own wait for marriage. Christ was faithful in body and heart to a bride he'd not yet met. And we should be too. The reason for the boundaries of sexual love in the song is because of the bridal mystery of the gospel contained in sexual love. Paul says in Ephesians 5, this mystery, um, speaking of the one flesh union, this mystery is profound and it refers to Christ and the church. Our bodies tell God's story. Uh, one writer said, sex is not just about sex, but the way we understand and express our sexuality points to our deepest held convictions about who we are, who God is, who Christ is, what the church is, the meaning of love, the ordering of society, and mystery of the universe. And that's the whole point of this song. That the biblical ode to erotic love in the middle of our Bibles takes us to the very heart of the biblical faith and is an entrance to the wedding feast that never ends. Takes the, the song of heaven and transposes it into an earthly key. That's how the church has always taken this song. It's called the Song of Songs because it sings the mystery of mysteries in the love of loves of the King of Kings. That's why it matters 
that we take these things seriously. Another pastor said, knowledge of this higher reality helps us know how to live in the earthly reality, patterning our sexuality after the way Christ and the church relate spiritually. With not only unabashed celebration of beauty and desire, but enjoying those things within certain boundaries. In an era of sexual chaos in the world and sexual silence in the church, we need this song. It sings God's love for us and teaches us how to love. And as we fall short of its pattern, which every one of us do, it reminds us that the love of heaven's bridegroom, the the love of the son of David, to whom this song ultimately points, took him to the cross to heal and cleanse and restore even our sexual sin, even the ways that we fall short of this standard, even our our disordered desires and guilt-ridden pasts. And so whatever state you find yourself in as you're listening to this today, may the Lord encourage you by this song to receive his grace in the gospel, to then live faithfully before him, whether married or unmarried. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.